the War Nomads podcast. It's not your usual travel podcast. It's everything for the adventurous independent traveler. Yes, this is the first episode. Are you pumped, Phil? I am so pumped. Can you see how I am? I'm really looking forward to talking about adventure independent travel. And particularly since you are fresh from holiday, you are fresh for this podcast. I know. Get me while my energy levels are high. (laughs) (laughs) All right, then. Let's get into it. My name is Kim, and in this episode, we're shining the spotlight on Croatia. We'll catch up with British expat Paul Bradbury and find out about the island paradise. Hava. Have I said that correctly? Hava. Hava. Far. Far. Okay. We'll see why it's fast gaining a reputation as Party Central. Now, you love to travel. I love to travel. We all do. Anyone listening to this podcast loves to travel, and Annie loves travelling. She's visited Croatia. In fact, she's written an article for World Nomads featuring places that you might not have heard outside of those more popular places like Dubrovnik. So we'll chat with her. And Grant Surin, he's the director of Sail Croatia, and it seems everyone loves the idea of sailing in Croatia. I do. I do too. I got my hands on a boat whilst I was away on my holiday just recently, so it's definitely something I'd love to do in Croatia. Board shorts or budgie smugglers? Uh, my wife has insisted that it's board shorts <laughs> yeah. now. Can I insist it's board <laughs> shorts too? We'll chat with him, Grant, about the core values they operate under to make sure everyone has a great experience in board shorts. In fact, everyone loves Croatia so much. It's one of the fastest growing tourist destinations and there are plans literally in place to limit visitor numbers to some places because of the sheer number of people that are flocking there. So with that in mind, we're going to seek to find the answer in this podcast to the question, Phil, can you love a place to death? Yep, absolutely. The place has been overrun by tourists. We're really going to have to look very closely at that. It's becoming a big problem. Well, that question will be answered in the podcast. But speaking of questions, I think this is going to be a highlight Phil's travel quiz question. At some point we have to get to reach a point where we have an intro for that. Okay, no, we'll work on that one. Phil's travel <laughs> quiz question. I can, I can hear the reverb already. <laughs> get into it. But for today's quiz conundrum, we're travelling to Central America. So you've decided to take a chicken bus from Guatemala City to San Jose just for the adventure of travelling in those brightly coloured old American school buses that are favoured by locals. So you throw your pack on the roof and you settle in for the seven-hour ride, by the way. Mm. Um, But when you reach your destination, you discover your laptop is missing from your luggage. Is it covered? The answer later in the show. Oh, how's that for a hook? You can find out at the end of the episode what the answer to that is. But first, what's happening in travel news for October? Phil, I know you've been a very busy boy. Dominating travel news in September, Kim, was the fact the Earth was very angry. Hurricanes, typhoons, earthquakes and devastating floods from monsoon struck with vengeance, didn't they? The Mexico earthquake, a big one at magnitude 7.1, and it came on the 32nd anniversary of the great Mexico City quake of 1985. They'd just finished earthquake preparations and practice, by the way. As many as 360 lives has been, have been lost as a result of the quake across Mexico. The death toll is lower, but the devastation is much greater from what is now the busiest month ever for Atlantic hurricanes. Irma, Jose, Katia, Lee and Maria, that's five hurricanes in one month. Irma and Maria reached Category 5, the biggest you can get. 
While Hurricane Irma was cutting its way across the northern Caribbean, we were hoping the best for a family of world nomads who were holed up in a villa on the island of St Thomas. Jake and Michelle Chomp and their two kids call themselves the Retired Toddlers. Sounds like a nice gig. Uh, We'll have a link to their site and social media accounts in the show notes. But they rode out Irma sheltering in a bathtub. At our front door is what you hear in that that, um, YouTube video clip. And we had just kind of peeked out um, and into that hallway into like the main living area there where our front door was. And we just both looked at each other like that door. It's going to be a miracle if that door does not blow open or that window window, um, doesn't shatter. Yeah. Not peeked outside, just peeked out into our inside hallway because we were really tucked away in that bathroom. And we just felt like at any second, the glass was going to blow in, even with whatever we had done to protect it. It just felt imminent that the whole condo was going to be, you know, open to the elements any minute. Wow. Frightening experience. Incredible. Top tip for me, if you're told a hurricane is coming, get the heck out of the way. Lastly, in this litany of disaster, volcanoes with a month of seismic activity that has also left a few eruptions. 100,000 people have been evacuated from a 12-kilometre radius, that's about eight miles, around Mount Agung in Bali, Indonesia. Oh, and I do have one piece of good news for you, Kim, and this is relevant to the topic we'll address a little later in the show. Bulgaria, bordered by Greece, Romania, Serbia and Turkey, very nice part of the world, is so pleased with people choosing to visit this past summer. The Minister for Tourism is sending all 400,000 of them a hand-signed Thank you, Knight. Oh, that is so nice. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> enough reason to visit Bulgaria. Absolutely. And, and speaking of incredible, listening to that family and their experience during a hurricane, that's just, oh, I can't God. i can't imagine it. Do you know, I don't want to put you on the spot, how do they come up with names for hurricanes and cyclones? Uh, it's alphabetic and it used to be they were only named after, uh, with female names, but now they give them uh, both genders. Are you Phil that knows everything? Pretty much. (laughs) Stump me. Send me a message. (laughs) You'll be back later in the episode to answer insurance questions. I don't think there's anything Phil couldn't answer. But next I'm going to catch up with one of our World Nomads contributors. Her name is Annie and she's got some great tips for getting a true Croatian experience. Annie Waldrich. She's a Brit and World Nomads contributor. She's been to 29 countries and counting. I caught up with her via Skype in Colombia while Phil, her flatmate, was washing up in the background. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. And we kicked off the chat asking what drew her to visit Croatia in the first place. Um, For me personally, I've seen lots of pictures. So many pictures on Instagram and everywhere. Everyone's Croatia mad. Like I remember a couple of years ago, I remember seeing pictures of Croatia and I was like, oh, that looks like a cool place to go. But everything was on a yacht, like sailing. It was all about the sailing. No one really said anything about the actual towns or places like that. The reason I I took a trip was because my sister is working in Croatia. She's She's a water ski instructor in like a British resort. Well, you're a contributor to World Nomads, so you're in a position to tell us about some of the hidden gems that travellers tend to miss, perhaps. Yeah, I think people very much stick to either a sailing trip or split and Dubrovnik, but I went on a very different route. Like, I went, I flew into Zadar, which is an equally as beautiful city. I think it's like the fifth largest or it's smaller than the other two, but it's equally as beautiful and you there's way less people way less people everyone there was more 
local people and you were wandering around, you weren't crowded. I didn't actually visit Dubrovnik and I visited Split for like one hour, but they're very beautiful places, but super crowded. And Zadar and other smaller towns are equally as beautiful and way less people. Just touch on a couple more that you've written about for World Nomads in your article. There's so many national parks. That's one thing that surprised me about the national parks and, like, the nature of the, of the country. Took me by surprise. I didn't think Croatia was the place to do all these outdoor activities. And as I said, my sister's teaching water skiing, so... And where she works, there's sailing and all kinds of different sports, like adventure sports, which I really didn't expect there to be. So how then um, does a traveller, Annie, get a, a true Croatian experience? For me, what I think is the best way to go around is hire a car. I hired a car for maybe 30 euros and... I just, like, I drove from Zadar, I drove all the way up the coast. The roads are fantastic. They're pristine. They're as if someone made them yesterday. And there's no one on them. And I went, I drove along the coast, and I stopped at where my sister's working in Stadagram, and I just drove, and it's just parked the car and got out, had lunch in, like, a super small town surrounded by local people. I just sat and watched how the culture is and just watched the local people doing their everyday things and I thought it was a good way to fully immerse myself in the culture. Yeah, so tell us what you can expect by, you know, going off the beaten track, I guess, and visiting a, a local town. Local, they're full of life. Like, it's they have a lot of culture. Like, people are very happy. They're walking around like laughing and if you sit in a you sit in a restaurant and you're surrounded by local people they're very happy people every there's quite there's some smaller fishing towns and you can just watch them bring in the fish in the morning to the market and it's very normal and non-touristy every town has a little piece of history that i thought was fascinating like Roman ruins, Venetian ruins, like the foundations of houses, churches, cathedrals, everything. Like there's like a Roman forum, like everything. Every town has a unique piece of history, which I thought was pretty incredible. So you mentioned that you looked at photos of Croatia on Insta and thought it was just all about sailing. How would visiting Croatia... Um, rather than looking at photos of it, change a traveller's mindset and understanding of the area? Like, I thought it was very... I pictured Greece, is what I first thought. I was like, okay, there's lots of islands and things like that, and the history really surprised me. Like, the historic buildings, the town's architecture is beautiful. Like, unlike anywhere else I've been, like, there's each there's like small streets with like stores each side but everything's very clean mountains beautiful nature like the national parks like i said before this surprised me a lot like i didn't think it would be such a 
historic but natural place. So what would you say to anyone considering travelling to Croatia? I would say hire a car, super cheap, drive, go on some road trips, visit the national parks, visit the small towns... Immerse yourself in the history. Learn about the history of the country, like through seeing different things. It's like super cool place. I was, I enjoyed it a lot. That was Annie Wooldridge, a World Nomads contributor, and we will have links to Annie's story about Croatia in our show notes. But next, Paul Bradbury on Croatia's increasing party reputation and the island he describes as paradise on earth. But right now, let's check in and see what our World Nomads have been up to. We went to Tasmania and we did like a carrot farming and like, well, like working in a carrot factory and onion factory. And it's just like a story that when you're 25 years old, you wouldn't think about like saying you've ever done. And then you just look back and like, ah, oh, I worked in a carrot factory. I really like Southeast Asia. It was probably my favorite for as far as traveling goes. I think it's been like great to see everything and stuff. I don't think I'll have any regrets of not sticking around at home. Like a lot of my friends at home were all settling down, like buying houses and getting married and shit. And I feel like I've made a better decision, just kind of going out and seeing shit, more life experiences. Yeah, traveling's great. You get to see, like, different parts of the world and, like, everything's different. Friends end up being sort of like your family um, when you're, like, to home away from home. Like, once you've traveled a little bit, like, you just want to keep going. It's addictive. Definitely keep going. Like, not, not going to just stick in one place for sure. So, Phil, this podcast is about shining the light on Croatia. Why did we pick it? Uh, well, Kim, each month World Nomads picks a couple of destinations to feature all throughout our site. And we pick a mixture of des- destinations we know you will love and destinations we know you'd love to go to one day. And Croatia's a bit of both, actually. Who hasn't seen those stunning landscapes of the Dalmatian coast or heard about the epic sailing or wanted to visit the places where the Game of Thrones <laughs> was filmed? Croatia is absolutely booming at the moment. Tourism numbers are growing year on year, and so clearly many of you already love the place. But for the nomad inners, there's more to explore as well. The capital, Zagreb, it's the uh, cultural heart of Croatia, and it also happens to be littered with 18th-century Austro-Hungarian architecture. It's really beautiful. And in winter, there's a mountain overlooking Zagreb. It's only 35 kilometres from the airport to the ski field, so another great reason to be there. And the Plitvica Lakes National Park is almost as popular as Dubrovnik, and it's a great spot for hiking and camping. And we heard about hiking with uh, Annie earlier. That's right. Sounds fantastic. Uh, Of course, there are more walled cities than you can poke a stick at, and in Pula, uh, a first-century Roman amphitheatre that's even more impressive than Rome's Colosseum. Be cool. And that's why we're talking about Croatia. Well, Paul Bradbury runs the website Total Croatia News and we connected with him after we saw his story online. In fact, after you did, you were particularly taken with this. <laughs> and now Genitals, Croatia's Elite Tourism Summer, continues. So certainly grabbed... It got my <laughs> attention, that's for sure. So I started our Skype interview interested in the jump from the Balkans War to tourist hotspot in just a couple of decades, as, as you mentioned, Phil, and how has or is Croatia coping and what are some of the highs and lows that he can take us through? Well, I, I think initially it's, it's important to understand that uh, this, the, the whole tourism thing is not very new for Croatia. Um, indeed, next year on the island of Croatia, we'll be celebrating 150 years of organised tourism in Europe, the first place in Europe that had organised tourism, uh, dating back to 1868 with the Croatia Health Society. And before the war in Yugoslavia, uh, 1991 to 1995, um, 
Croatia, as it was then part of Yugoslavia, uh, the Republic of Yugoslavia, um, was a very, very, very popular tourist uh, destination. Um, so much so that uh, before the war, um, 440,000 British tourists, for example, came every year to uh, to the uh, Adriatic coast, Montenegro and Croatia. Um, and that was actually the second biggest market uh, after Spain for British tourism uh, go, going abroad. Um, the war obviously um, devastated a lot of the, the, the area. Um, there were huge problems. Um, a lot of tourists obviously stayed away. And it has been a huge branding issue and uh, PR exercise to get people to come back. But what's happened is um, the National Tourist Board had a, an excellent slogan called uh, the Mediterranean as it once was. And uh, it's been... It's Croatia has been rebranded as a cool, um, sort of young, sort of hip, sort of destination somewhere in Eastern Europe, um, and very, very exciting. And so the tourists have come back, and now new generations of tourists have come, and it's been a phenomenal success. So much so that uh, tourism now last year was 18% of GDP for Croatia. I think one of the issues that Croatia's had is it's uh, it's still trying to define exactly what it is as a destination. It's it's very very well known for its sun and for its beaches and for its uh, famous cities like Dubrovnik, which pretty much everyone's heard of. But it's also trying to attract, attract festival tourism, uh, different types of tourism. And um, what's happening is that I guess because of the economic situation, it's hard to say no to different types of tourism. And so it comes across, to me at least, as a little bit um, ad hoc and unplanned, and so uh, and a little bit out of control at times. Okay, well, let's get back to Havar. You describe it as a paradise on earth, but in one of your articles you recently titled, and it was called, and now genitals, Croatia's elite tourism summer continues. It certainly grabbed our attention, but can you explain what prompted that story and give us an insight into the changes that have happened on the island? Okay, so um, in, in, you know, in order to put things in context, we have to actually put Hvar in context. Um, it's uh, it's regarded uh, quite rightly as uh, Croatia's premier island. Um, it has uh, a heritage dating back thousands and thousands of years. The ancient Greeks came here in 385 BC. We have uh, four different types of intangible UNESCO heritage. So actually, we are Hvar is the um, the island with the most UNESCO heritage in the world. Because it's such a diverse island, it's attracted uh, a diverse group of people um, over the years. This is where Beyoncé showed her baby bump to the world. This is where Prince Harry fell into the swimming pool. Um, and so, but at the same time, you have lots of uh, backpackers that come, and they, they mix very, very nicely, or they have mixed very, very nicely. And it's been one of the things about celebrities who come here is they actually appreciate Bar because they're pretty much left alone. And party tourism has been something that has existed um alongside everywhere else, every other type of tourism for, 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 for many, many years and has, has worked quite nicely. Um, in the last five or six years, I think, there's been a huge um, increase in the sort of uh, effects of the party, the party tourism. But then it comes back to strategic decisions. And if you look at the official statistics, Croatia earns less money per tourist tourist spend than neighbouring Serbia, Bosnia, Herzegovina, Slovenia. And so there should be a strategic look at how to uh, improve the spend of the tourist and perhaps reduce uh, some of the uh, lower paying, lower quality tourism. Is it possible that you can love a place to death? Ha. Yeah, I, 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 that's, uh, that's, that, that's, that's true. I, I, I would agree it is, yeah. What's your advice to anyone planning to travel to Croatia and what are your desires from a traveller so that we don't end up loving a place to death? Oh, well, I, 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 I would say the first thing to do is to, you know, uh, 
look at your behaviour norms and you know uh, understand that you're coming to visit uh, a beautiful place and have an amazing experience. Um, but uh, you're also visiting communities, uh, people, uh, people's uh, towns where people live, and so to, to behave accordingly. Um, I think um, to enjoy Croatia uh, personally, um, I think it's sensational. It's most sensational in, in June and September. Um, I would uh, take some time to look a little bit beyond um, the highlights. You must see Split, you must see Dubrovnik, you must come to Hvar, you must do this, this, this. Uh, there are fabulous, fabulous cities like Zadar, like Shivani, on the coast, which have just as much beauty, heritage, um, islands, everything else, to, things to do, and they're much less discovered than, uh, than places like Dubrovnik. And so if you're coming just to tick off the list that, yes, I've been to Dubrovnik, then, 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 then that's not for you. But if you're, if you're looking to get a true Croatian experience, there are many, many places um, which are absolutely sensational. That's Paul Bradbury from Total Croatian News, and there'll be a link to his site in our show notes. Next, Phil, you're going to speak with World Nomad's Christina Tunner to touch on that idea that we did mention with Paul about loving a place to death. Yeah, interestingly, I was uh, talking to somebody the other day about can you love a place to death? And that was Christina Tunner, who's the uh, manager of the Americas for World Nomads. So I thought we'd get her on the show and talk to her now. G'day, Christina. Hello, Phil. Tell me, we were talking about loving a place to death, all right? And you used to work at Lonely Planet as well, where yep. you know, the guidebooks send thousands of people to the same place. And they were acutely aware of that, you know? Yeah, we were really aware of places like the Banana Pancake Trail in Southeast Asia, which is, of course, Lonely Planet, cut its publishing teeth and probably had the most years of, of content that was helping people navigate that area. But it, it applied to anywhere. There's some moniker for anywhere in the world that Lonely Planet was somewhat responsible for. You know, it's not, it wasn't just Lonely Planet that suffered from this reputation or from this sort of sense of responsibility for sending so many people to these allegedly undiscovered, untapped regional places. And, you know, you go to any of these places and sure enough, you see all these travelers sitting in the same cafes with yep. their Lonely Planet guidebooks on the table and, yep. um, you know, influencing even what guest houses offered or what restaurants offered on the menus because it was so, you know, the banana pancake trail. There's yep. nothing native, as far as I know, <laughs> no. about Laotians eating banana pancakes for breakfast. <laughs> no. So, like, so te- you've, you've obviously had these experiences yourself. Where have you been where you go, oh, man, I wish I wasn't here. It's just like it's not a, it's not what I expected. Um, most recently, I'd say it would be Puerto Vallarta. We was that we were there um, seven or eight months ago, and it was just it was just gringo bar. It was like being in America, but in just a really hot place on the water. Um, chains, Hard Rock Cafe chains, yeah. Senor Frog, you know, all the chains, yeah. all these people just pasty and sitting around drinking at 11 in the morning. Um, yeah, just these kind of places at peak season are just really not worth going to. And, and and one of the things that Lonely Planet tried to do in some of its publishing guidelines was to maybe direct people to a, a town or a village somewhere that was potentially in an area that had some beautiful offshoots that you could explore. But to not say, go to this village and here's how you get there. It was more around experimenting with, here's a town called Cordoba, Che Guevara was born in this town and there's lots of other ones that you could explore check them out what advice would you give to somebody if they're trying to avoid those places that are loved to death well 
you know, I actually, it, it's it, this is almost like a Zen thing, and maybe it's a hippie namaste perspective that I have from being in Berkeley. <laughs> but I would say just curb your desire to hit the bucket list. Yeah. It's like, stop it. Like, what is this this obsession we have with we must do Machu Picchu, and if you don't do Machu Picchu the way everybody else has done it, then you haven't you haven't experienced it. Yeah, you know, what what I just think we have to change a little bit of our philosophy around what is travel and why we do it. And I think if we did a sanity check on what motivates our desire to have a thrill or an exhilaration of a place, whether it be because you would like adventure sports or you like the culture or the food of a place, just just stop. And and I think if you think about it in those terms, you'll be happy with any village in France. Yeah, well said, Christina. Certainly something to think about there. Now, Phil also checked in briefly with Stuart MacDonald from Travelfish. It's the premier online guide to Southeast Asia. And he wanted to see if he agrees with Christina's sentiment. There's nothing really that you need to go and see because it's on, on some list. I mean, people need to think about what they want to do and use that to determine how they um, travel around in different destinations. So you're suggesting maybe it's time to take some sort of proactive actions, like put some sort of restrictions on things. Would that help? Oh, absolutely. If destinations want to remain relevant to tourism, uh, they, they need to do something about this. Um, we're past the point, I think, um, from a tourism management point of view, of being able to say, well, yeah, everybody should be able to just go and see everything because there's just not room for everybody anymore. Thanks for that, Stuart. A link to his site will be in our show notes. And in fact, Phil, read your suggestion there with that chat on putting restrictions in place. Effectively, immediately in Amsterdam, the city government has banned new shops geared at tourists. Now, these include ticket vendors, bike rental companies and cheese shops. Jeez. Not the cheese shop. Not that cheese shop. <laughs> so that's all designed to, to curb tourism in the city. So well, it's look, happening. It's happening. It's a sign of things to come, isn't it? Yep, certainly is. All right, let's get back to Croatia. Grant Suren next from Sale Croatia. Sale Croatia is one of our affiliates. Phil, explain why we're featuring our affiliates in each episode. Yeah, sure. Well, look, our uh, our mission says we're a group of like-minded adventure travellers. We're part of a community of people, of travellers. We're also a community that involves other adventure travellers, uh, other adventure travel companies like us. In fact, we've got formal partnerships with about 5,000 travel companies and bloggers. Uh, by the way, if you want to join us in this partnership, you could earn some cash from our affiliate sales system. Check out worldnomads.com forward slash partners. Uh, there are so many great companies and like-minded partners that we thought we'd like to hear from one of them each week. So, Kim, who do you have this week? Well, this is Sale Croatia, and it was started in 2003 by Grant Surin and his wife. They're, they based it on a model from Australia's Sunday Islands, believe it or not. It was during our Skype chat and amid Croatia's growing party reputation that I was keen to know about the business's core values and also a few of the types of trips that they offer. Yeah, we've got five core values, um, and really these have been developed, I think, as we've matured as a business, um, uh, we, we, we decided that, you know, because we're a family business, it's myself and my wife started the business, and we're working with local operators. These are people um, who own the ships and, and provide the service on the ground. We wanted to, I guess, put ourselves um, or, or, or give people an idea um, about, you know, what we stand for as as you know, our own personal values, but also from a business perspective, you know, and work with people that, that shared those same sort of values. Um, and we've got five of them. One is to always do the right thing. 
Um, and the second one is to inspire through initi- initiative and leadership. Um, so with that, we mean like taking responsibility um, for problems and making decisions and learning from our mistakes. Our third one is to create rewarding life experiences. That's for our team and our customers. Our fourth um, one is to respect and care for each other. And one of our most important ones is to spread happiness. So tell me about the boats that you hire. We have around 30 ships. We started obviously with one um, back in the old days. And all the ships are owned by families. So, so, you know, some families have one or two. But when we first started the business, they were little wooden ships, about 16, 20 metres long. It took about 20 people, real sort of backpacker style, two, two cabins, you know, you share showers and toilets on board. Um, and they were being used um, originally as um, cargo boats for um, carrying sand and, and goods and things like that. And someone had the idea to turn it into tourist ships. Um, and the families invested um, um, into their businesses. And, and today um, the ships have grown. We've seen that the, the sons and daughters that have worked on board the ships, you know, in their summer holidays and school holidays now are captains on board their ships. Um, and the dads have moved on to the bigger ships and these sorts of things. So um, the, the business has really grown over the years, but it's it's nice to see and, and see the families and how they've developed the ships. And, you know, even ourselves as well, growing up, we know their kids and, you know, our kids know their kids, these sorts of things. So it's um, it's good to be part of. I agree. So let's get to the cruises that you offer. So we have um, a number of different cruises for different types of people. We started with our um, navigator cruises, which are for under 35s. Um, and when we first started, um, we, we used to have, you know, one or two boats and different people used to travel on the boats. And then we sort of realised that people want different types of holidays. Some people want to meet other younger people and have fun. Other people just want to relax. So we started with um, our navigator, but we had to split very quickly and, and um, into, uh, I guess, a young professional and young at hearts. So we call it Explorer Cruises. After this, as the boats improved as well, we've developed our Elegance Cruises, which are, um, I guess, for our older guests who want a bit more comfort, just want to relax, maybe young couples, honeymooners, these sorts of things. We also have Active Cruises, which are for those who want to see more of the country, so cyclists and hikers. Um, you know, we, you'll, you'll spend the day on the islands cycling or hiking around the islands and in the evenings you'll travel, uh, so you come back on board the boats and the next morning you'll travel by boat to the next island to, to see more. So you don't have to be size, size 10 blonde with a yellow bikini that looks fabulous <laughs> on the foredeck? <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, we're, we're, I mean, we're family business, you know, every, everyone is, is welcome. Yeah, great to hear, Grant. You'll find a link to Sail Croatia's site in our show notes. Next, though, who wants to go on a gap year? How about being a decky on a yacht in Croatia as a gap year? Wouldn't that be fantastic? I'd like to do that one. And speaking of gap years, we've got a gap year guide coming out on World Nomads and the man who's behind it all is Martin Hong. Marty, and he's in the studio now. G'day. Hey, hey, how's it going? You're our first studio guest. <laughs> I'm really excited and the first podcast. I'm yeah, thrilled. But the third time we've had a crack at chatting yeah. to you. <laughs> okay, the magic of podcasting. People aren't supposed to know that. Yeah, if we don't laugh at the jokes this time, you know why, okay? Exactly, exactly. Tell me again, what are some of the reasons people take a gap year? Look, there are a lot of reasons why people take a gap year. Um, And that's certainly what came out of this guide. We had about 400 different tips and different ways to do it and different places to do it. So a lot of people traditionally will take a gap year after high school when they're not ready to like run straight into university, not really sure what they want to do. Or some people like me, I did it actually as part of university. So I kind of took for my last year um, a, a little bit of time off and went to London for supposedly six months, turned into years. Um, 
won't go into that. Um, <laughs> or there are people who kind of take sabbaticals. So the next batch of people are like the 20-something, 30-something, been in a job for about 10 years, need a little bit of breather. If my boss is listening, uh, we'll talk. Um, <laughs> and take about six months off to go somewhere. So, Phil, that's where the decky uh, in Croatia comes into mind for you? That's it. I'll let the boss know straight away. That's where I'll be working remotely. Hey, but that, but that's where you got your... That's what a gap year is about. That's where you got your taste for travel from. Yeah, right? completely. That's where I got mine from. I mean, I travelled a lot as a kid with my parents. Um, I was very lucky. But um, not until my gap year did I actually get to decide how I like to travel. Like, it really takes that kind of experience to go out there, be on your own, be terrified, and have no idea how to plan or what's happening next, and actually just lean into that and realise that you're going to be okay. Here's a question I haven't asked you before. Hmm. There are people that take the, a gap year and the type of gap year that you're talking about. Yeah. Then there are people that don't know what to do after year 12, perhaps, mm. and they work at the local supermarket and call it a gap year. Yeah. Is that, <laughs> is that still a gap year? Um, it's it's probably called um, a crisis. But <laughs> <laughs> a year off. <laughs> Finding yourself, I think, is the, the phrase here. But, um, well, there again, there's no one way to do a gap year. I kind of fell into mine. It was meant to be six months, but... Um, I was lucky enough for work to go, hey, how do you want to stay on longer? We'll give you a bit of time off and you can go travel. So I think the biggest thing is just keep your eyes and ears open for the opportunity and don't be afraid to be a little bit impulsive. How do you afford it, though? Ah, um, <laughs> Take up odd jobs, actually. Speaking of keeping your eyes and ears open, so obviously you can get a bartending licence. Um, that's also a really fun way to meet people. Um, you can bartend, you can uh, work in a cafe, you can be an au pair. Um, there are people who teach English as well, very popular. Yep if you're in a non-English speaking country. Um, but I was reading today that there are people who um, put themselves up and you can house sit for free yep. or even dog walk um, or dog sit, really. Um, so there are these websites that you can sign up if people are away for like a week or going on, on leave. They uh, get people who are vetted, not just anybody, uh, <laughs> to rock up and kind of uh, look after the house for a week and you as a traveller can get free accommodation. I imagine that would be very exciting because you're never quite sure where you're going to end up. Now, also, Phil's really taken with this lady that contacted us on Facebook um, with a travel packing tip. You, see, right. you seem yeah. really I keen mean, on that one. Well, we're different types of packers, right? I, I'm an overpacker. You're an underpacker, <laughs> oh, right? Definitely Chronic an underpacker. underpacker. All yeah. right. But what, this is an awesome tip, and I love it. What is it? This is so good. It's the 2020 rules. So shout out to Diana Costa for this one. One of our Facebook fans. Her rule is. Um, don't pack anything that you can buy for less than $20 in 20 minutes. Oh. Yeah. So no to toothpaste, no to deodorant, um, and no to underwear. Okay. Well, well, where can we get it, mate? Where can we get the guide? Where you can get all the rest of our destination guides, which is wellnomads.com forward slash explore forward slash guides. One more time. <laughs> wellnomads.com <laughs> forward slash explore forward slash guides. Thanks for being our first studio guest. Hey, I'm so excited. Honoured. <laughs> and if you come back again, you block four hours out of your yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Marty. Our chat about taking a gap year might be the perfect time to swing into some questions about insurance. And that's next with Guru Phil. And, Phil, you've got some travel insurance questions. Yeah, I thought we'd do one of these every week to see how we go. One of the most common questions we're asked at World Nomads Insurance is, what's my country of residence? Sounds simple, but as any long-term traveller knows, as soon as you've left home, it's complicated. Uh, Best summed up by this question, which was posted on uh, the Lonely Planet forum. And, by the way, Lonely Planet are partners of ours and recommenders as their preferred insurer. Anyway, this person wrote, my husband and I will be going on a year-long trip soon. 
soon. I'll be purchasing the insurance as a resident of New York, but by the time the policy is active, I'll have no state of residency, although our mail will be forwarded to my husband's mom's house in Vermont. When I read the policy at the bottom, it says, this applies to Vermont residents only. I won't really be a Vermont resident. No, you'll be a citizen of the world, won't you? Look, try and think of it this way. If you were really sick and needed medical evacuation back home, where's home? Where is it you'd like us to send you? I reckon it would be your husband's mum's place in Vermont, so put that down as your place of residence. A couple of other things to know about World Nomads Travel Insurance and your gap year. If you're the forgetful type, you can actually purchase a policy after you've departed. Not many insurers allow this, and we were the first to do it, by the way. You do not have to be in your home country to purchase a World Nomads policy. This means you can also extend your policy while you're still travelling. So if that gap year turns into a gap couple of years, nice. you can extend while you're away. Want to check out the policy and all the other benefits? Go to worldnomads.com forward slash insurance. Pop in a few details. Get yourself a quote. And what about if someone has a specific question for you, is the best email podcast at worldnomads.com? Podcast at worldnomads.com. Ask Phil. Okay, we're about to wrap up this episode with the all-important answer to Phil's quiz question, but first we have some World Nomads news. And I'm pleased to say that World Nomads was recognised at the Global Youth Travel Awards in Montreal at the beginning of October, winning in the category for Best Social Responsibility Initiative. And we nominated World Nomads' Amazing Footprints Network program. Our charitable arm has raised close to $4 million from micro donations. Now, these are people just adding between 2 and $10 to their policy. It's money that goes directly to community-based development projects. No middlemen, no admin costs. Your money goes to the projects that you nominate. The World Nomads Photography Scholarship closed a few days ago and right now the scholarship mentor Richard Ianson is looking over the entries. The winner will be announced on October 26th and we'll have that lucky person on our next podcast right after the announcement and hopefully while they're still on a big high. And speaking of scholarships, the 2017 Film Scholarship to Kerala in India in the next few days, the winner, Yigar Ganatra, will be winging his way from Canada to join mentor Brian Rapsey on what will be an amazing adventure. And if you didn't know, World Nomads offers scholarships in film, writing and photography. These are really money-can't-buy opportunities for aspiring creatives. We want to help young travellers turn their passion into a profession. So to find out more and to sign up for the scholarship newsletter so you can be among the first to know about these new opportunities, go to worldnomads.com forward slash create. Well, that was episode one of the World Nomads podcast, but we cannot go anywhere because people have been hanging on. (laughs) On the edges of their seats. They have. They want to know the answer to your quiz question, but first remind everyone what it was. Okay. And then, um, am I allowed to guess the answer? (laughs) No, you work here, you know. Okay. (laughs) Remember, your laptop's gone missing from your luggage on a Guatemala chicken bus. Is it covered? Sadly, most probably not. You're responsible for keeping your valuables in a safe place. Leaving them unattended on top of a bus out of sight is not taking proper care. So here's our top tip. Put all of your valuables in a small day pack, one that you can take onto the bus with you and then keep a really tight hold on that one, Kim. Yeah, or don't even travel with your laptop. That forces you to do work, doesn't it? Well, sometimes you have to, don't you? Yeah, store your photos, things like that. It's always pretty handy. Take it back, take it back. Um, So you will have a quiz question for us in the second podcast? Oh, I'm working on them as we speak. (laughs) I bet you are. (laughs) 
Now, everything that we've chatted about will be available as links on our show notes. Is that not correct? Uh, it is indeed. And you can, of course, subscribe to the World Nomads podcast. Tell a friend about it. Feel free to rate and review on iTunes. Now, next episode, we're going to travel to Canada and chat with a travel writer who experienced an Inuit-led adventure in Canada's far north and hear about his frightening toilet stop. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Dun. That's next. The World Nomads Podcast. Explore your boundaries.